All right. Welcome to now. Oh, what is that noise? <laughs> Welcome to now open the podcast, the sex education podcast. That's more sex than education. My name is Jabim. Oh, no, Trisha, that's you. There's something up with your audio. You're coming out sounding like a squeaky mouse. Nope. Now I can't hear you at all. That's so strange. You know, your audio was fine just before we went on the air, and now there's nothing coming through. Absolutely nothing. Everybody, if uh, you think Trisha sounds like a little tiny mouse, please comment Cinderella on the comments. <laughs> he just logged off. Cinderella, 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 Cinderella. Sounds like a tiny rat, which is kind of appropriate considering tonight's topic, which you'll find out in just a bit as soon as Trisha returns. We, we do have an actual show planned for you guys. It's not just, we didn't trick you into like tuning into a live webcam show of just me. It's not that. It's not like a- Am I still a squeaky mouse? No, you're a full-blown kitty cat now. <laughs> okay, welcome back to the show. My name is Jobim. And I'm Trisha. This week, we delve into the deep end of the dick debate. We dabble in the dialogue of dong. We discuss the domain of dingalings. This is part one of Jumbo Hot Dog. A hot dog. The size debate where we'll talk about ideal penis sizes throughout the ages, history, elegant, mostly not so pretty penis, and some of our personal experiences with big weenies. I have none. Spoiler alert. Trigger warnings, penises, painful sex, and pornography. The three P's that hold our show up. If you're listening <laughs> live and like what you hear, you can join the discussion by leaving a comment below. And if we have time, we'll get to them as the show goes on. This podcast deals with themes, languages, and situations that may not be suitable for young audiences. If you're under the age of 18, parental guidance isn't going to help you here. All right. Trisha, you ever you ever wonder what dicks were like in the past? Any given time? Not ever. Not a single moment in my entire life have I ever thought. <laughs> really? Sometimes I worry about it. Sometimes I, I think about like Victorian genitals. What were Victorian genitals like? And while I may continue to wonder what that is like, we have for sure evidence of what penises were like during other parts of history. For instance, Egyptian, right? Let's start with as far back as we can go. Egyptians had clean penises, I guess. We get a glimpse into what Egyptian cocks might have been like through the Turin erotic papyrus, right? Not to be confused with the Shroud of Turin. Two very different artifacts from Turin. Okay? Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. <laughs> Shroud of Turin, Jesus' face. Turin erotic papyrus, 3,000-year-old porn, right? It's supposedly a 1,000 years older than Jesus Christ. While the women are depicted normally in the Turin erotic papyrus, the men are drawn short and kind of chunky compared to other male depictions that we see on, like, what do you call them, hieroglyphs and stuff? You know, ancient depictions. You've seen those tall, lanky Egyptians, right? On the wall paintings and the drawings and stuff. The men in the turn erotic papyrus decidedly do not look like. They're a little more squat, they're a little fatter, and they got these huge, massive, just chodes, you know, just massive units of a dick, right? And I'm not assuming that everybody in ancient Egypt was just hung like a horse. 
We don't know. We have no context for what the Turin erotic papyrus is. We don't know whether it was meant to be a humorous depiction. We don't know whether it was made to mock somebody, perhaps somebody important in the past. You know, kind of like uh, the ancient Egyptian version of late night TV talk show hosts ribbing popular celebrities. We don't know who it could be, right? So we can't use it as a reliable depiction of accurate ancient Wang. Uh, however, there is a noteworthy source. Herodotus, who doesn't have a great track record for keeping like accurate history, right? Several of Herodotus's accounts have been debunked. But this is generally agreed upon by historians. This one bit of Herodotus' history notes that Egyptian boys were circumcised for the sake of cleanliness. So we know one thing. Egyptian dicks were clean and circumcised. Not always. I mean, clean is neither here nor there, because as we know today, being circumcised doesn't change your Mm -hmm. hygiene habits. Right. That's why I said clean and circumcised. Not clean, therefore. (laughs) Like circumcised, therefore clean. (laughs) They're bold on top and at the bottom. You know, they they, they wanted a uniform hairstyle all around Egypt. (laughs) They wanted the carpet to match the drapes. Yeah. I don't know if Egyptian men also had their pubes tied up in a ponytail. (laughs) I'm going to try that. Uh, This is where things get interesting. We move on uh, a little bit further in history and we get the Greeks and Romans, right? I don't know if you knew this, but the Greeks and Romans love their foreskin, right? Like, they really love Please their foreskin. Please expound on this sentence. <laughs> okay, close your eyes, Trisha, and imagine ancient Greek or ancient Roman statue. A male statue, okay? okay? All right. Now, avert your gaze down to the genital area. Is it a big penis or a small penis? Well, off the top of my head, there is no penis. <laughs> because there was that part of history where they chopped yeah, off a lot of penises. Yeah. There was a pope who was like, no, penis is bad. And he had all the penises removed and covered with fig leaves. It's like one of the greatest like mass desecrations of art throughout history. But yeah, they didn't have much to chip off. I'll give you, I'll tell you that much. Okay. <laughs> it, it was like a tiny, so a tiny it wasn't that was much like, of a waste of marble. It wasn't a big chisel. <laughs> they used a tiny nail to be like, and those fig leaves, they're not, they're not big. You know what I mean? And this is because the Romans and the Greeks liked foreskin. They liked foreskin so much, in fact, that the ideal penis was supposed to be three quarter. Uh, the ideal foreskin was supposed to be three quarters the length of the penis. So one, wait, three quarters, that's three fourths, right? You're supposed to have shaft and head as one fourth of your penis and then three fourths of it foreskin. The longer your foreskin, the more ideal your penis was. Right. I need to ask because I am not very well versed in foreskins, but mm-hmm. can your foreskin be three times the size of your penis? It Is that just a thing that happens? I mean, um, yeah, I've seen penises like in pornos where they're... Oh, sorry, they're, it's they're three quarters of the length of the penis. Yeah. I thought it was supposed to be three times the length of the penis. And then my brain just broke. Yeah, three, qu- three quarters of the length of the penis. <laughs> And it was often, if you find any of those old ancient Greek and Roman statues, they were often depicted with having long foreskins. Yeah, it was the most prominent part of nude statues of athletes and gods. So, you know, like images of virility, images of masculinity had small penises, right? It was seen as a sign of being elevated, I guess, from from the animal world, right? Because you were an evolved being, you were separate from animals with their big angry penises, you are, by comparison, refined and have a smaller, more sophisticated dick, right? 
Frederick Hodges notes that uh, for the history of medicine, the prepuce, prepus, I don't know, foreskin was Prepucy. seen as an prepuce, <laughs> seen as an, uh, an object of high beauty for the Greeks and Romans. The ideal was, oh yeah, that's it. Since the Greeks linked the penises to the ancient world equivalent of being a dumb chad, small dicks were all the rage, as they were thought to be beautiful and sophisticated. But the the love affair of Romans and Greeks with penises does not end there. Okay, they loved them so much that it affects one of a word that we use to this day on a daily basis. See, the Romans believed the image of a penis could be used to ward off evil. <laughs> they would usually, yeah, they would usually call these, uh, they would make pendants, amulets, decorations out of penises. And these things were called fasciniums or fascinus, which is the root word of the word fascinate. <gasps> yes. So our word for fascinate and fascinating is... Means, has its root in penises, right? The English word fascinate ultimately derives from the Latin fascinum and the related verb fascinare, to use the power of the fascinus, that is to practice magic. So to fascinate, <laughs> to practice magic, right? And the reason for this is... Big magic. Romans and Greeks, in order to unify their people, the peoples that they were conquering, would adopt the, the traditions of the pagan religions that they were taking over, right? And a lot of these religions had to do with uh, fertility. And, you know, their, their, their lifestyles would revolve around the seasons. Because would we live or die by the harvest during these times? So... Vaginas and penises were very much in vogue in these pagan religions because they represented fertility and the harvest. And penises rep literally represented the seed, which would be planted into the earth. So as the Romans would adopt these pagan religions, they would take their imagery. And there's, there's a really funny account of like when German, sorry, not German, Roman soldiers would come back from battle. They would attach little penises to the undersides of their carriage. To represent, like, the masculine power of the hearth, which they regarded as sacred. Are these so, basically, like, penis bumper stickers? Or the, yes. That, you, know those, <laughs> like, you know those balls that hang from the back of... Yeah, a truck. It's like the ancient Roman equivalent of that. But, in, like, <laughs> in celebrating when you come back from war, if you're successful, they just stick a bunch of dicks underneath your chariot. Right? <laughs> On top of this, they also believed that penises would elicit strong emotional reactions from people and would therefore ward off evil spirits. So, I shit you not, they would carve out jewelry, pendants, finger rings, relief carvings, lamps, and wind chimes out of dicks. If you were to walk through ancient Rome, it would, it would not be surprising to turn your head left, right. You wouldn't be able to close your eyes and throw a stone without hitting a carved dick, because Romans believed that they, they, they warded off evil. If anyone listening wants to be commissioned for a set of dick chimes, please mm -hmm. hit me up in my DMs. <laughs> uh, Matt Ordonia says, I mean, penis size is great, but what about ball size and vaginal depth? It's funny you should ask that, because we're going to get to something close to that in just a bit. I should lay my first card of the penis chariot. <laughs> Name it the penis charot. Anyway. Ancient Indians, moving on. Everybody knows about the ancient Indians because they have a, a, a little book that you might have heard of. Maybe. It's called the Kama Sutra. And my first exposure to the Kama Sutra, I remember this is probably one of the first times in my life that I thought, maybe my penis isn't that big, man. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the depictions of the Kama Sutra, but they are not modest men. I didn't know if that was like 
an accurate depiction of what a male member was supposed to look like, but they, they were way, way, way ahead of their time with the Kama Sutra, right? Because the Kama Sutra believed that the ancient Indians believed that different penis sizes were compatible with different vagina sizes. I think they're onto something here. They weren't a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. Of course, they believed that you could still derive pleasure no matter what, but that there was an ideal pairing between sizes. So, because Indians love classifying things into castes, there is a system for male and female genitalia. The hair, the bull, and the horse are for men, so men with small penises are hares. Average-sized penises are bulls, and big penises are horses. And for women, deer, mare, and elephant. Slightly less flattering. <laughs> Wait, so elephant men. is if you have a big vagina? Vagina, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not entirely flattering. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> I don't think anyone would want to be in that <laughs> case system. Uh, then we get to the ancient Japanese, who have been like at the forefront of drawing pornography since forever. They have a rich tradition of pornography, the Japanese. We know how the ancient Japanese like their penises because even then, the Japanese were leading the way in porn. Size was clearly a thing to the ancient Japanese, as the penises in chunga, or the erotic art of the period, often depicted large penises with these massive purple heads bursting with girth and veins and virility. And uh, whether these features were exaggerated to make the images easier to see from afar, you know, because they'd be displayed. So, you know, you see them from afar, you'd be more likely to buy something if you could identify what it was without being very close. Or whether this was the ideal penis of the time is unknown. Uh, but it was very, very popular, right? This was the norm. Side note, the Japanese also did not shy away from depicting pubes. They liked a healthy lawn. There were there were so many, there's so much pubes in, in these chunga. And last but not least, okay, this is the last period in what I would consider antiquity where penises played a major role. There was King Henry VIII, who was, you know, famously not a feminist. <laughs> he, was a, <laughs> he was obsessed with... He loved women. Yeah, a little too much. So he was obsessed with, like, big dicks and murdering his wives. And one of <laughs> those was quite popular. The two of any men. gentleman of the time. Right, right. Uh, he was the best at it, though. He ordered the men to dress with big... Sh you, you ever see pictures of King Henry and he's got these, like, big round shoulder things? In fact, when you often depict people of the, the, the era, they're depicted with these big shoulder paddy things. And that's what they were, in fact. They look kind of funny now, but those round things were the shoulder pads of the time. They were meant to make men look more masculine. And King Henry really popularized that. He was like, men got to dress this way. They have to look masculine. King Henry was kind of like the Teddy Roosevelt of, of that time. He was just like, a man's man. We got to look like men. And he also made cod pieces a thing. There's a really funny story about a BBC show who was doing a TV show about King Henry's life. And they wanted to make it as historically accurate as possible. But when it came down to the cod pieces that they were using for historical accuracy, they had to make them smaller because they were afraid that audiences wouldn't believe that that's how people used to dress. They, they I need, thought it I need would a go size comparison. How big? They are thought these it'd cod go pieces? over people's heads because cod pieces, as we're used to seeing them in in a traditionally educational setting, like let's say in school, they're the watered down cod pieces. 
actual cod pieces that they wore at the time made you look like you had a raging boner. <laughs> like you had, you were walking around with a hard on. And I can only assume this was just for King Henry VIII to walk around with an actual hard on all the time and nobody to question it. It's like, it's my cod piece, bro. Norms. When Queen Elizabeth, however, sat on the throne, for some strange reason, walking around with a glaring erection just fell out of fashion. I can't understand why. But, you know. <laughs> I love how to display their masculinity. They were just like, everyone has to think about and look at our giant dicks all day. Know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> got to be thinking about my, my dick. Always. To reassert my power, you always have to be thinking about my dick. <laughs> and my shoulders. Oh, and my yes, shoulders. shoulders. Very, very important. Join in on the conversation on the now open PH Discord server, where you'll be free to talk about anything and everything sexuality with like-minded people. Respectfully, of course. You can find the link to the server in the episode description. But before we get into the discussion tonight, here's the newsstand. Vice President Lenny Robredo maintains her stance favoring same-sex unions in the Philippines, but rejects the idea of decriminalizing abortion. I have always been against abortion, pero yung sa akin, para hindi tayo humantong sa extreme situations, kailangan natin na strengthen yung local health services, Robredo said. Abortion is currently punishable by law under the Revised Penal Code of the Philippines. However, reproductive health advocates continue to push for the decriminalization of abortion, arguing that doing so will save women's lives and prevent disability from unsafe abortion complications. So that is tonight's news bit. Basically, she came out and was asked about her stance on several pressing issues, and one of which was her stance on same-sex unions, which thankfully she agreed is something that we do need in the country, but in the same breath said that abortion is something that she cannot get on board with. How do you, How do you feel about that? Oh, I was going to ask you. <laughs> I'm a little pessimistic at this point about politics, right? So for me... Look, black and white, it's horrible. But black and white, it is a stance that I do not agree with. Being against abortion is not a stance that I agree with. But when you talk about politics, it's not black and white. And I'm looking at Lenny Robredo as a whole. And when you're looking at her as a candidate, I believe that she is the best candidate. for. She's the person I would trust the most to turn this country around right now. But I do not agree with her stand on this. Absolutely. I understand the value of playing the game because you do have to win over a majority of people, especially so close to the next elections. And I'm pretty sure that abortion is a pretty hard stance to take in this country. Right. Right. But and, and I think compared to someone like Pacquiao, who later came out with his stance on abortion, and I'm going to read this and a little bit of a trigger warning in case you need a trigger warning for Pacquiao, because who doesn't? He said he opposed abortion even for rape victims impregnated by their abusers, saying, Ang buhay mahalaga. Pahalagaan natin ang buhay. Panginoon ang nagbigay niyan, so di mo tatanggabin ang binigay sa'yo ng Panginoon. And Robredo's answer is nowhere near as awful, <laughs> I'd say. But strengthening local health services, if you want to do that and you want to help people with uteruses across the country, the best way to do that is... To have abortion is to decriminalize it and offer right. it safely because in, in a past episode, we mentioned that the unplanned pregnancy rates in the country are at 54% and the unwanted pregnancy rates are at 37, somewhere in that range percent. And these numbers are, are scary. Look, the facts show that 
decriminalizing abortion just makes it better, for, improves the quality of healthcare for women across the board, right? But the fact of the matter is, what you're up against isn't rational. What you're up against isn't a statistic. What you're up against is faith. And it's hard to argue against something that is based on something that is not rational. And I'm not saying that just because something is irrational that it's bad. Faith can be a good thing, but it's hard to use statistics to argue against something that is faith-based, right? Yeah, that is very true. But That's, that's the obstacle we're facing. So until something <laughs> changes, something big needs to happen. Something big needs to happen to wake people up to realize that the price that we are paying to hang on to our beliefs is being paid by the young women of this country. I don't know what needs to happen because as it is, abortion does exist in this country, but it only exists for people who are rich and powerful, who mm-hmm. have connections, mm-hmm. or it exists in a state that is so unsafe that it's it's unthinkable as an option. Right. But some people do the unthinkable because mm-hmm. the opposite is even more unthinkable. So, you know, abortion does exist here and decriminalizing it is making safe access to it extremely inaccessible, forcing women to turn to really dire alternatives. And it's what's, what's even worse is that if we want to prevent pregnancies in the first place, comprehensive sexual education is like, is Look, what I'm we not, needed yesterday. <laughs> I'm not even like, it, fine, I'm not, it's not on me. It's not my position to change an entire nation's stance on, religious stance on, on a thing. All I have are my beliefs, but the government doesn't even support the alternatives to abortion. Like, I mean, it wouldn't be as horrible if we had the infrastructure to take care of parents who have kids who are unwanted, right? If we have, if we have a system in place to take care of women who, who have to have children from being raped or from, you know, there's no, there's no alternative. They're just saying no abortion. And then that's the end of the story. Give us something else. Give us something else to work with. If you're not going to give us abortion, give us something else. And that's, throw that's us what I bone. haven't heard. Yeah, throw us a, and that's something I haven't heard. I haven't heard any any working alternatives from the government I'm saying, fine, we won't give you abortion, but we'll 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 put up some we'll put up an organization where women who have unwanted pregnancies can go to have them, you know, and the systems that that we do have that are in place aren't effective. There's no money being pumped into that infrastructure. That's all I'm saying. Just give us give us a bone. Give us a bone, Lenny and everyone. Right. But you know what? I still have bad respect for Lenny. I just hope that politicking aside, she does rethink this stance. I mean she does have daughters. She is a woman herself. And if this is something that as a woman, like growing up with a uterus, I've been pro pro choice longer than I have been gay, I think. Because from a young age it was drilled into me that like pregnancy will completely change your life. And it's like the number one thing that can like redirect the entire course of your future. I have, so, I've been pro-choice for as long as I can remember because of my eldest sister, who is like the real life Daria, right? Like she's as cool as you can get as an older sister, uh, was a feminist when she was in college when I was in grade school. And she taught me all about feminism, right? Because I was like, a, I was a macho seven-year-old, you know, ew, girls, yeah. <laughs> and my sister was like, uh, no, a woman needs to have right over her own body and then she pointed out that that situation to me like what if i got raped would i have to keep that child and i was like yeah dude i, w- I don't want my, i don't want my sister to keep a a rape baby yeah my, my, my sister knocked that into my head <laughs> at an early age and it's just never changed and i guess that that's it for the newsstand now sitting yeah. down now onto the show all right we, we were talking about 
penises, past penises, penises in the past. What makes uh, a big pain for you, Trisha? So my personal threshold. For <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It is a personal threshold because I'm pretty sure that it's not the same um, as the Kama Sutra said, different vagina sizes, different ideal mm-hmm. penis range. But my personal threshold for comfortable is around the 6.5 inch range. And my personal threshold for I'm going to do this is probably seven to eight, somewhere seven there. Eight. Okay. So for me, a big weenie is, I, I think a seven inch weenie could count as a big weenie and upwards. It's funny you should say that because like when I asked you the question, what makes a big weenie, your immediate response was for me, right? And that's what I've found to be consistent across the bar when talking about big weenies is that it, it varies from person to person. It's, it's very much a subjective thing, isn't it? It's a case-to-case basis thing. So why do you think we are so obsessed with big penises? I'd like to think a part of it is pornography a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more Definitely. widespread pornography became, the more that your first encounter of another person's penis is likely this huge, gigantic, comically large schlong mm-hmm. because it looks great on camera you know you do need a big penis on camera to showcase the entire range that you need for an adult film but it's just not what everyone's penis looks like right yeah it just it looks good on on screen i think that the advent of videos right uh, i think the advent of videos and pictures made big penises popular because as a visual medium it is more satisfying and easier to spot a big penis which is why i think in a lot of ancient depictions of penises especially in drawing form i find it interesting that the only instance we see small penises is when they're they're not drawn but but sculpted right and these gigantic figures so you can still see the tiny penis from afar but when it's drawn and the medium is small the penis is exaggerated to make it look bigger. So I do think my amateur opinion is that the visual medium of videos and pictures bringing about modern pornography placed an emphasis on large penises. Yeah, I absolutely agree. But, uh, because... in... Sorry, go ahead. but in, uh, in ancient times, though, the importance of the penis was derived from seasons and rituals like i mentioned earlier the romans uh, adapted from pagan religions and the the romans actually had a god uh, sorry the greeks had a god f- uh, for animal and vegetable fertility who i know we've talked about on the show before Pri- I, I don't know if I, I still haven't gotten his name right priapus i think it's priapus right he's the greek god of animal and vegetable fertility and he had a giant penis like a comically large penis. And he was always depicted as an oaf. Right? Because I, as I mentioned earlier, the, the Greeks were like, small dick must mean sophisticated and smart. Big dick, you're, you're like a dumb, dumb guy. Right? So, which brings me to my next point. What are the perceived pros and cons of having a large or a small penis? So I think our first pro will come from one of our customers. Jed, Christian Jed says, I'm content with what I've got, but from a porn making perspective, it'd be really nice to have a six incher to work with. Opens possibilities for more kinds of sex positions 
and very visible on cam. So I think this really speaks to a big reason why a lot of people like big dicks is they look well, aside from the porn angle. And well, yes, they do look good because you're used to them also seeing them on screen. But I feel like there are more positions that are available to you just because it's longer and therefore gives you more leverage to position yourself in such uh, a way. I will contest that a little bit. I will contest okay. that a little bit. I, I see that as also as a con. It's a, it's a double-sided thing because on one end, there are some positions that you can only pull off if you've got a big dick because your mm-hmm. dick will reach, your dick will touch certain things. But then there are also certain things you can't do with a big dick because it's too big. That is true. Right? Like, if your dick is just the right size for when, if you slam down hard, it hits her G-spot. If your dick was any bigger than that, it would go past that and it wouldn't be the same. So you couldn't do that slamming action because it would go somewhere else. And so there's some things that you can't do with a big dick that you can do with a small dick and vice versa. I thought uh, one of our listeners, uh, one of our customers said something interesting earlier. Rhea? Uh-huh. Rhea Jane said, I thought you'd be interested to know that the Hiligaynon language has different words for genitals according to size, and we would love to know what those are. If you could drop those in the comments, please, please, please let us know. We love to know what other people call penises. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. I think the pros of having a big penis is that like, it's generally accepted as being the better penis. Right? It's Generally speaking, big penis, good penis. I would say that could be a con as well, because my experience with men with big penises is that they will not, you will hear about it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, how do you know a dude has a big penis? Because he will tell you. Yeah, but see, that's also (laughs) what perpetuates the penis stereotype in, women are also partly responsible for perpetuating this penis stereotype, right? I don't know whether you guys are obsessed with penises because society is male-centric and we're obsessed with penises, but I do remember growing up and women, you know, girls my age, would anytime they encountered a dick that was bigger than average, you knew about it because it became a topic of conversation, right? Women of a certain age, I don't know if you, you ever outgrow that, but they love talking about big dicks. They love talking about big dicks they've encountered. They love... They love swapping war stories about the time they had to conquer a big dick. They had like a shield and a sword and a a horde of orcs behind them. And there was an epic battle, right? And as a guy that age, you hear these stories and you think, well, that's what women like. That's what women talk about. I never hear them talk as enthusiastically about average penises. And I think that that's a pro, right? That's a pro of having a big penis is that whether or not you're being talked about in a good way, (laughs) Your dick will be talked about. And I guess another pro for having a big penis, and like one of the reasons why this is still perpetuating, is that when you think about dirty talk, one of the common go-tos is, it's so big, I can feel it. It's a staple in Japanese porn for a penis to be so big that it hits your uterus? Yeah, if you watch enough hentai, it goes in their cervix, right? Yeah. It penetrates their uterus sometimes. Yeah, like you can see the tip going right into the uterus. And I'm like, this is not how bodies work because that sounds extremely painful. But you know, it's there. It's important because this idea that if if your penis is so big that it fills up every inch, therefore, no matter what you do, this other person's going to feel something. 
I will tell you this. I, I, I don't know whether it's because I'm used to seeing big dicks getting sucked, but I think a big dick getting sucked looks better than a small dick getting sucked. And it's a little underwhelming when you've gotten used to seeing these monster cocks get sucked in porn versus the reality of watching your own dick get sucked. And that's not what it looks like. And as a visual creature, it's slightly less satisfying until you get over that mental hump, right? It's like an issue, I think, that many men have the disconnect between the penis that you see in porn and the actual penis that you have. And until you get over that mental hump, I think there's just that, that slight subconscious unhappiness when you see your penis in action. You know, it's like when you work out, when you look in the mirror after working out and go, I don't look like Ryan Reynolds. You know? <laughs> it's that. But yeah, so we've been talking about the pros and cons of big penises. What about small penis? Oh, wait, not yet. That's after. Oh, <laughs> That's later. That's in part two, sir. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, so that's small penis. This, this is big penis time. And, uh, I actually think that's it. I think we've touched on touched on all the pros and cons of having a big penis. Oh, okay. Here, here's a common con that I hear about having a big penis that big dick guys will never admit to. Yes. A common complaint from girls who I've heard have had sex with big penises is that they don't know how to use it. Right? The problem with guys with big dicks is, and again, I wouldn't know. I can only assume. Is it because you've been jerking off to porn that looks like your dick? You walk around thinking that's it uh me i you have major you have major major main character syndrome because <laughs> that's, that's your fucking dick dude that's your dick in the porno you're like i know I, as i, I said that's... they're arrogant they're yeah, arrogant, they're arrogant because they know their penis is the ideal they walk around thinking if i get to fuck the fucking will be amazing because I, by virtue of my large dick and that's just not the case right Women often are often unsatisfied with dudes with big dicks because they don't know how to do it. That's not to say that if you have a big penis, you fuck badly. If you have a big penis and you know how to work it, congratulations, dude. More power to you. But that is not that's not the norm. Yeah, there okay. you go. That that is part one for a jumbo hot dog the size debate. Make sure to stay tuned for part two, where we'll talk about small weenies and what really does matter in the bed. This podcast deals with themes, languages, and situations that may not be suitable for young audiences. If you're under the age of 18, parental guidance isn't going to help you here. What's up, guys? Welcome back to It's The Roundtable Podcast. I am your host, I am Brian Bonnie. Ayos Batay and Chan. This podcast is your perfect partner balancing work and life one episode at a time. Join me as we navigate adulting. Sometimes growing up sucks, but we love it. Welcome back to Now Open the Podcast, the sex education podcast that's more sex than education. My name is Jobim. And I'm Trisha. And this week, we are back to validate your feelings about your cock. I was supposed to make this intro longer, but remember, length isn't that important. 
in part one, we discuss the history of penis discourse and what we think of big weenies. I think the conclusion that we came to is that they exist. <laughs> yes, big weenies, indeed. <laughs> yeah, big weenies. They're there. That should be the slogan. <laughs> that should be the slogan. Because it, I think, I think reinforces the reality of big penises. Is that nobody gives a shit, dude. Dudes that walk with, with big penises walk around like they are the alpha male. And dudes with small penises walk around like, yeah, I'm going to die a virgin. But no, it, that should be the, the slogan. Big penises. They're there. I'll call the marketing department. I'll have them change it. <laughs> the marketing department for penis for big penises. Yeah. Thank you. It needs a rebranding. Big penises need an image change. In part one, we discuss the history of penis discourse and what we think of big weenies. And this is part two of Jumbo Hot Dog, the size debate, where we'll talk about the other end of the spectrum. Small penises. I don't know why my voice got really quiet. I said that also. Voice of habit, I think. But we'll also talk about the more important things when it comes to getting down and dirty. A trigger warning, penises. <laughs> so yeah, small weenies. Uh, what makes, in your opinion, a small weenie? Well, when I think of a small weenie, what I think of are micro penises, right? So these are like really on the other end of the small spectrum, which I think is around... 2.52 inches that anything at that level or lower or is a micro penis. But I was just about to Google what a micro penis is. Anything <laughs> lower than what? 2.5 inches? Somewhere, somewhere there? Google that to be 2.5. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, no. a micro. In adult male, micro penis is defined as three and two, two thirds inches or less. So sorry if you're around. If you're four inches, you don't have a micro penis. But if you have a three and two thirds inch penis. That is very specific. <laughs> well, that is what is like medically considered a micro penis. But yes. I think with the conversations around big dicks, mm -hmm. I think that a lot of guys or a lot of people with penises in the range of four to six, which is not medically a micro penis still feel mm -hmm. like they have small penises. This is where we need Kai for this conversation because I remember Kai said something that made my jaw drop like a few weeks ago. Kai was like, I think the maximum for her is like four inches. Four inches for Kai is like a big dick. And I couldn't believe my ears. I said, You have to say that on the show sometime in the future because those are like the magic words to, I'd say maybe 70, 80% of all the men on this planet, right? Of all the straight men on this planet. What? Four inches is enough for you? music to our ears and i can honestly understand kai when she says that because the average vagina length like the actual space that you have in there to accommodate a penis in the first place is three to six inches long so how the fuck do these porn stars keep on having sex with these big dick guys can you explain that to me please if the average you know if did, did the porn industry just manage to find all the size queens in california or what I think it's just like an industry tradition that they had to continue. I mean, how, if, if the average vagina length, depth, is around three to four inches, how do dudes with big dicks fuck? They only stick like the first three or four inches in there? What happens to the other inches? 